This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Hey everybody, we're back. It's a uh, number six. Ducks yeah. take their sixth loss in a row. It's the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. I, Patrick, alongside here with Eddie, uh, making my podcast re-debut, right? I haven't, I don't think I've been on a show in like three weeks. It's been a while, but you've been on the road, so that's fine. On the road, plus the Ducks had like a two-week break or whatever, but uh, it's been a minute since I've been on the show with you, but uh, wow, man. Um, I didn't miss much, did I? Yeah, that, 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 no. No, you, well, you, you missed... Uh, what somehow they came off the break and it's been uh just amplified in in how bad it's gotten i like we thought going to the break they're gonna get guys back from injury it's gonna get better right no they uh they 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 just can't score goals which has been a problem all year but now you've got what the last three games you scored two goals and not only that you're allowing over four goals per game and you're getting shelled in some of these like six one nine three so you didn't miss much but you somehow missed this team getting exponentially worse it's been, uh, I mean, uh, just a disaster in every flavor of that word. This this past, I don't know, it's what, since December 17th, right? That was, I think, the Ducks' last win against Pittsburgh. Ever since then, this has just been probably one of the worst stretches of hockey that I've seen since the last time Randy Carlisle was coached. <laughs> that was yeah. the last time. Yeah, and it was uh, we talked about it in the last show where it was like eerily similar to the last time he got fired, where they they got killed by the the Maple Leafs, and then they went in and they won against Montreal, and he got fired. And they end up going in and losing pretty badly to Montreal, and he still survived. So the fact he survived this, like this horrible comeback, if now a six game losing streak after the break, like that he again we've already said this multiple times, but there's no way he goes anywhere. Like it, it, he's here for the rest of the year. It's just that's how it's going to be. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. I mean, and you know what really is the point at this at uh, you know at this juncture of the season? I mean, what are you going to do? Bring somebody else in and hope to salvage it? No, you're going to let your buddy ride it to the end. Um, and we've been yeah. talking about this. I've, oh my god, for like six weeks now, longer. Um, you know, we've we've seen this bad play off and on throughout the season, but it's come to a point. It's just nauseating at times to watch this team try to break out of their own zone or, or try to complete a pass or defend a two-on-one or not leave their goaltender out, you know, hung to dry at night in and night out. 
I don't think I've seen a team in a long time, and, and I don't watch obviously a lot of teams as much as I watch the Ducks. But when you get 45 shots on goal, and you just your your offense looks like they generated maybe 15. Like they did not get a lot of good chances. And and you know Anders Nielsen tomorrow in in the papers or uh, on social media or whatever, he's going to get praised for for having an excellent game. He should. He had a good game. But I don't think he had a 45-save shutout game. But the Ducks made it look like that because half of their shots were from the perimeter. And they really didn't have that many high-danger chances. I think in the end of the night, the Sens, for most of the game, were leading the way in high-danger chances. At 5-on-5, five five, they, they they outshot the Ducks. Or they outchanced the Ducks, rather, uh, with high-danger 9-6. to six. Yeah. And the Ducks well, got ha- on 5-on-5. On cue, the Ducks tweet out for their article, plenty of shots on net in this one, but we can't find a way to get one by Nielsen in the <laughs> yeah. But they only really had chances um, in the third period, it felt like. The rest of this game yeah. was just a, was just, was just one mistake after another. It was terrible. Yeah, I made a mistake, too, looking at uh, their power play. Saying, oh, look, at this is what the power play is actually playing good. This is what we wanted. Getzlaff in that position. Then I realized that it was uh, a six-on-four and they should be getting chances, and it should look good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the power play at the end of the game, obviously two-man advantage. That's where a lot of the really good chances came. They had some decent chances, and Nielsen made some good saves. But, uh, again, like at least 75% of the shots, uh, the 45 that they had, were not really prime scoring situations. No, just not at all. Um, we got we to gotta break down this game. We'll do it rather quickly because there's really not a lot to pull from it. Even though it's a four-goal deficit for Anaheim the Senators I mean I guess you could say opportunistic in some of the plays but really the Ducks just gave it the game away they just gave it away uh, there was uh, so many odd man rushes going against this team um I don't know man I, I'm kind of running running out of words to describe how the Ducks play because there's there's only so many ways you could say bad but, yeah, uh, I mean, the Sens are an upbeat, fast team. They're, they're generally a fun team to watch if their defense wasn't so horrible. They, they they played really hard against the Leafs the other night, and they almost beat them. And they're a fast team when you look at who they have up front, and, and they can hurt you on the break. And, I mean, there was a stretch there in the third period where the Ducks had, in, in I think, a two-minute span, there was uh, three odd-man rushes. And Chad, Chad Johnson came up and saved them all. but And that was just on the Sens not really being able to finish. They didn't really create any prime scoring chances from that, and they were relatively easy saves for Johnson. But again, uh, you got to know you're coming in. Yeah, they're a bad team. Yeah, they've lost five in a row. But this is a, a, one of the faster teams in the league, at least in the top half. And you've got to play like that. And the Ducks were behind the block right off the start. Yeah, and so getting to this game, of course, John Gibson's back in net. Um, Eves, Cracknell, Walensky all scratched. Eves apparently is sick. That guy just, I don't know, man. He can't catch a break. He can't ever catch a break. I don't know if he's ever going to be the same guy. Uh, Getzloff is now tying Tim Mussolini for franchise games played, so there's a golf clap for Getze. Uh, He's had his injuries in his career for sure, but uh, good to see him tie Timu there. The lines, I mean, they're the lines. Raquel, Getzloff, Perry, nothing new on that front. Shore, Kessler, Silverberg. Why Kessler is playing 2C, go figure. Uh, Richie, Henrique, and Sprung, who in my opinion I thought was the best line of the night. Um, and then you have your you know bottom bottom of the barrel guys, uh, Gibbons and Rowney. Uh, Rowney they weren't up. that bad No, that fourth but, line tonight, but I mean that's not the line you want to get going. And then you had Fowler, Manson, and Linholm Montour, nothing new there. And then uh, who was paired with Megna? Was that um, Delzato? 
I think it was Del Zotto. Yeah. I believe so. He wasn't scratched, so I would assume it was Del Zotto. I didn't notice him all night, which I guess is not the worst thing in the world because it means he's not making a mistake. But Oh, I certainly noticed Jacob Megna, though. Holy hell. Yeah. And, <laughs> we'll and, definitely and get to that. For reasons, yeah. So, opening up this game, the Ducks didn't come out as bad as we thought they would, I guess. They came out with a little jump. Uh, Derek Grant hits the post. And that was all the chances they would get in the first period. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> that that yeah, that was pretty much it. That's some sort of, you know, that's that's pretty bad when you look at the fact they outshot the Sens seventeen to eight. And if you just came in and looked at the shots you didn't see the first period, you'd be like, Oh, you know, the Ducks actually played a really good first period. Scoring chances five on five, like regular scoring chances were fifteen to four in, in favor of Anaheim. Uh, but they weren't really prime scoring chances they're just regular old scoring chances that really weren't anything that were, were threatening Nielsen too much other than the one that hits the post and that doesn't even get registered as a shot yeah so that doesn't even count so Derek Grant doesn't even have his opportunity count as a shot on goal but uh, the Ducks end up getting caught down low Kessler can't get the puck out of his feet out of his feet rather Mark Stone shot rebounds to why not a Kachuk and Kachuk fires it in past Gibson Nothing really Gibby could do there, as we've said, I don't know, at least a couple hundred times, I feel like, in the past two seasons. And now it's one nothing Ottawa. Again, but th- this is a three-on-four for the Sens in the end. <laughs> and you've got Mark Stone, who, you know, this is unlucky for Ryan Kessler a bit because it does come into his feet. It's not a direct turnover. Like, he's trying to, to corral a bouncing puck. But you've got Mark Stone, who skates in behind Josh Manson, uncovered. And then you've got Brady Kachuk, who skates in behind him, and he's uncovered too. And you, let, you, you look on the other side of the ice, you got three Ducks players on the right side of the ice when there's only one player over there, and that's the guy whose shot initially got blocked and fell to Mark Stone. I mean, like, what are they doing? Like, we talk about odd man rushes. This is one you should have had control. This is a three on four. Like, you, you sh- you're outnumbered them. You've got an extra guy to cover space. And somehow two Senators players get on the rebound first and end up getting the goal. I mean, it's been typical of the Ducks all year to leave men open, but usually it's an odd man rush, not something like this. I mean, the Ducks were just soft. I mean, they're always soft yeah. in front of their own net. They have been all season. It's been brutal. Um, I, I, I kind of wonder if any of you guys in our chats were actually at the watch party tonight for the Ducks. I would love to know the vibe in that crowd. Kind of oh, t- kind of tough. <laughs> kind of tough. That's a tough one. To get people to come out and watch Ottawa, of all, right? So you're not going to get the physicality or the nastiness that the Ducks like to have with some teams. And then you just have this just fire roll on, on your screen and you have to watch it for two and a half hours. So that's a tough watch. Um, I'd love to know the vibe on that one. But, uh, yeah, Ducks look unlucky, I guess, right? I mean, but at the same time, it's uh, they're soft in front of their own net. And teams know this. They know this. They know the Ducks struggle. They know that they don't make quick decisions with the puck. They know they can't complete passes out of their own zone. I mean, for anyone to think that they're not scouting and checking out how the Ducks play and then trying to jump on them immediately because they know the Ducks are, you know, for lack of a better term here, you know, the the overused hockey term, gripping their sticks too tight, as, you know, a lot of the analysts like to say, they just, you know, hesitate. Um, That's what happens. And the Ducks just get, um, you know, picked apart by teams night in, night out. 
But well, you uh, knew Brady Kachuk. Brady Kachuk knew that the way he he kind of delayed his skate in after he saw where you know the puck was just kind of in Kessler's feet. Didn't know who's going to get it, so he kind of delays a bit to see you know maybe I can get in a position in behind Josh Manson and get a chance. Ends up paying off for him. But yeah, teams know it. You see it every game where where guys just kind of delay their skate in a bit to try and sneak in behind whether it's Fowler, Manson, Montour, even Lindholm. Like yep. they've all been pretty bad this year at picking up guys coming late into the zone. You almost kind of feel like they just have given up at, at some point, right? I mean, I don't want to say yeah. that because like, I don't think they really have, but just the they just have got it's got to be one of the toughest locker rooms in the league to be in right now. That's really oh, tough. It's, it's got to be the worst. I mean, even the Sens, they, they've lost five in a row, and uh, they, they finally just broke that tonight. So that's obviously a tough locker room to be in, especially in the fact that you know Duchesne and Stone are probably not going to be there next year. But. And then even in management, they don't even have their picks. So that's one of the toughest locker rooms to be in. But then, you know, you look at the Ducks, like they have the worst stretch over the last 20 games. They're eight, 18 losses in their last 20. Like nobody, that that nobody comes close to that and in, in how bad it is to be there. Especially this is a team that's had a lot of players who are used to having success and they were expected to have success this year. So th- there's no question. It, it is probably the worst locker room to be around right now. If you or someone you know is an Uber driver in Ottawa tonight, and you pick up Ducks players, turn that recorder on. Let's, yes. <laughs> let's pull an Ottawa Senator here, right? And uh, see if we can catch anyone talking trash about the team or management or players or whatever. Because there's got it's got to be tough. And, you know, I say that jokingly, but in, in all actuality, it's going to be talked about. I'm sure it has been. Um, I, I just would love to know what's going on with those players because I just don't see the compete, as Randy Carlisle would like to put it, when in – when they have, was it four? You said forty-five shots. If I want to look at this real quick, I'm looking yeah, at five forty-five. Five, so well, I can the see the right thing about the, the the compete level too is is uh, we have a couple comments from a couple of Eric Stevens articles that that we'll get into post game. But a lot of Ducks players touched on that where they said, I don't necessarily think the compete level is isn't there. Josh Manson said, like if there's a guy in this locker room who isn't going out there and competing every night, that they don't want them out on the ice or they shouldn't be there. But you know the, the play on the ice says something else when you look at the fact that they haven't scored a goal in the uh, in this game and they scored t- two goals over their last three games and they've just been obliterated over their last six like yeah you can't get mad at people for questioning the compete level that and it's not there and i know that's randy carlisle's favorite thing but like come on like show some show some heart show some drive they went down three nothing in this game and even in the, in the game against montreal and they're like ah there's no fight to get back in the game. There's no effort to really come back. And whether that's just the fact that they can't generate offense or they're just not competing or they've given up, it's hard to tell. But that that has to be something in it. It's got to be. And the, the idea that uh, this team was expected to win this year, I mean, I had them sitting outside the playoffs. I know that was one of my few correct predictions. As I know I've picked other teams that are supposed to be doing well. But uh, it you kind of felt it in the beginning of the year. Right when they were winning and they shouldn't have been, when yeah. they they had like the puck luck and were like, wow, they're not playing well at all. But you hell, we'll, we'll take the wins. Them. But not like this. Not like this. This has just yeah. been a snowball of just pure crap, just building up and rolling because they it's nothing's going right in these games. They're they're doing when they do things right, the puck still doesn't go in the net. It's just not their season so far. And they kind of need to chalk it up as one where, hey man, let's better luck next year. Let's uh, let's go ahead and figure out a way to get a top in draft pick. But um, well, finishing doing a good job of figuring that out. 
the stealth tank, right? They're trying to be stealthy Whoa, about this it. This isn't stealthy anymore. <laughs> but they're putting up, uh, you know, we can get into this that is in a minute. clearly public now. Let's let's crush through these these goals here. Let's just touch on those because we got to talk about it. Um, yeah. In the second period, of course, the Ducks, you know, would Wayne play the other way. They would only generate. Oh my God! I'm looking at the shots on goal here. High danger chances one, and their scoring chances they only had three in the second period. Yeah. Five shots on were five. eleven to two. I think like nine minutes into the game for the Sens too. Oh, for the second period, yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, brutal second period. Um, a couple of solid shifts there by the Henrique line. I thought they played well tonight uh, for the most part. But, again, the perimeter shots. Just uh, Nielsen's not having to stop grade-A opportunities throughout this game. And then, of course, um, the Ducks would give up a goal here on just an, an egregious mistake here by Jacob Megna. I guess you could call it a rookie mistake. Duchesne gets a partial breakaway as Devin Shore does like a half-ass effort to get back and defend him. But on the opposing blue line, Megna, for whatever reason, leaves his post as a defender on his side, and goes across to attack the puck carrier. So what does the puck carrier do? Chip the puck back to the empty defensive side where Matthew Shane is streaking up the middle. Yeah. What are you doing? Why that's, would you do that? That That's on Jacob Magna for sure, the initial play. Oh, yes. But Devin Shore, like, the, what kind of effort is that? None. I know Matt Duchesne is one of the quickest players in the league, but he is gliding. Like he's not even he's not even in stride. He's just gliding, and Devin Shore just makes no effort whatsoever. I don't know if he's gassed or what. But did you but think maybe no like he, he thought Del Zotto was gonna slide up, and then Shore was gonna cover? Uh, I forgot who the other guy on the rush was, but I, maybe I, like if he thinks Shore is gonna cover him, that's a fair enough assessment. But uh, for me, I blame this more on Devin Shore. Like that that is a horrible effort to get back and, and stop a guy who is, is tied for the leading uh, goal scorer on their team. This is a guy who's just been unbelievable this year. He's one of the best players on their team, if not the best player on their team. And you make no effort whatsoever to even try and get it. And you just kind of slap, slap his stick with your stick and that's it. And uh, he shields the puck away from Devin Shore, who's a much bigger guy and uh, roofs it up on John Gibson. Not much he can do. I mean, that's the type of effort we're seeing from the ducks. And, and you're wondering why people are questioning their compete level. Yeah, the only the only thought process I saw there is like Magna's gonna cross over, attack the puck area, Delzada would take his space, and then and then Shore would come in and cover where Delzado was because it was closer. Well Delzado doesn't take Megna's spot. He stays in the middle. Shore goes up to try to attack Duchesne, and like you said, can't catch him. And then the worst part of all of this, I don't care about the goal. This season's a wash, but Megna comes trying to come back and back check and then ends up going airborne. And hitting John Gibson in the head and hitting his head into the crossbar. Yeah, jo- Joseph said he, we almost forgot about uh, Magna decapitating John Gibson. No, trust me, we didn't forget. That that was the uh, that was the big reason we wanted to cover that here. That is uh, was just brutal. You're going to do that to your best player? <laughs> I know it wasn't on purpose, but like, can John Gibson catch a break? He goes to the All-Star game and gets shit on at the All-Star game for how he played. When all we, you know, maybe he threw the game so that way San Jose would lose because they're a rival and the Kings wouldn't be able to go on. Who knows? Ha ha, probably not. Um, it looked really loose. Just having fun. Gets crapped on. Uh, they say he's not a good goalie. He didn't belong there. Blah, 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 blah. He's already dealt with all the crap before that about how bad his team's been playing. Get out of the break and they just start right back from square one in the seventh circle of hell and can't get out. And then you're going to run your own goaltender. Uh, I just... He's not catching a break, man. His Vesna opportunity is 
very it's gone quickly it, it's it's sinking. insane how no no it's gone it, there's there, it's not there's nothing left i mean it, it's insane how quickly it's dissipated we, we, you know even with a couple losses and how bad they're playing before the break we're like there's still a chance like we we talked to paul campbell in, in our interview with him and we're like you know there, there's still a chance the ducks play 500 the rest of the way and continue to at least get some regular goaltending from john gibson that he's, he'll have a chance to stay up there he just has to have a similar second half to his first half <laughs> and boy boy has that changed uh, rather quickly in, in the, the four games uh, since coming back from the break they, he's getting absolutely lit up not really to his fault at all i mean he's not playing good as good as he was but it's kind of hard when you've been playing that way all season to keep that up and that's out the window now right after the winnipeg game you're like holy crap like that's a bad one but brush it off then he goes into toronto and it gets worse luckily he doesn't have to go in against montreal and you're like okay worst team in the league he'll come back have a good game tonight and didn't play bad probably the best game of the of the three for him when you look at the, the just coverage in front and then he ends up having to leave the game anyway i don't know what to say about it i just don't I, I, <laughs> it's it's super unfortunate he got all this praise he was the only ducks all-star and now he's not getting any help. He's been pulled out of several games. Um, I just, guy can't catch a break. His team doesn't help him whatsoever. And he doesn't get to start the third period. Whether it was concussion protocol, um, I didn't see any word out on Twitter as to what it was. Uh, the broadcast picked that up late, too. They're like, oh, look, it's Chad yeah, Johnson in there. either. You know, so, one, one thing I wonder have we ever seen a goalie who at midseason rankings was either number one or even just on the rankings, but in this case was favorite to win the, the Vesna by the, the Hockey Writers Association, and then at the end of the season doesn't even get nominated because that's the way it, it could be trending right now. I don't know if we've ever seen it, but the, this could be the, the easiest case of that happening because of just how bad the Ducks are. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember a case like this. Because even even Vasilevsky, I mean, he had a not so great second half last year, and he was the fa- the the favorite to win it. And then Rene continued to play well, but Vasilevsky still had good numbers and still was on a good team and had the wins and got at least a nomination last year. But John Gibson, the the second half of this season after the All Star break has just been horrible. It doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And and even at this point, like, how do you recover from this three game stretch that he's had? Yeah, I, I don't think he's like you said. I, I think it's gone. There is no recovery for a Vezina nomination at this point. He, he would have to come back, and they would have to win an obscene amount of games, and he would have to just play lights out. They would have to yeah. find a way to score, which Lord knows we haven't seen him been able to do that. And not He'd even have to finish one of the worst like teams a, in the league. A nine thirty save percentage or something. Yeah, and. and- even if he's not picking up a ton of wins, he'd have to finish with like a 930 save percentage and like a 2.2 or 2.3 goals against average in, in the remaining games that the Ducks have to, to even get back up to where he was beforehand. All right, well, let's wrap up this third period. Um, the Ducks get a power play in the third, and <laughs> they end up giving up like three two-on-one chances to the Senators with yeah. Chad Johnson and Nett. Unbelievable that the Ducks can't figure out a power play there. They have... Another person on the ice, it's five on four, yet they can't figure out how to sustain pressure whatsoever. Uh, it's almost like they've never had a power play. They don't know what the hell they're doing. So that that problem just continues along here and just goes along with the effect of why they can't score. Um, Mark Stone, you know, as is after the power play expires, ends up getting on the board, making it 3 nothing. On um, The Ducks just kind of puck watching. And by puck watching, they're all just in this 
this, this gaze of the puck, and it goes on over. But by the time it gets over to the left side of the net, then you have Chad Johnson completely screened, Mark Stone all alone on the top of the circle, able to throw a wrist shot on net, and there's not a chance in hell Johnson ever saw that. Um, no. Perfectly screened, Where's goes high glove. Worst guy to give that that type of chance to on this team is is the he's the best shooter on this team, and there's about four guys screening Chad Johnson. Uh, he times that perfectly. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. waits exactly until a couple of his own players skate into basically a, just a, a wall in front of Johnson and picks the the short side on the right side. I, I mean, that's why he's 23 goals. That's why the Sens are, are desperate to bring him back to this team. But you know, that's that's the only goal where you look at it and you say. It wasn't a total breakdown. It was just a good play by a good player and, and some good screens in front, and he, he makes a good play to, to to hit that shot. It wasn't really like anybody completely missed an assignment. I guess, obviously, Stone is left wide open, so there's a little bit of, of suspect there. But uh, it was just a great shot. You're not stopping that. No, and, and I don't have so much of a problem with the goal. It's it's the problem that comes across me is this play that they play so soft in their own zone. They, they're so quick to lose the puck. They're so quick to lose an open man. Um, they can't seem to keep the puck out of their zone. This is the Ottawa Senators. They're not a good yeah. team. They're not a good team. And the Ducks do this thing where they allow teams to come in and break into the, into the offensive zone, into their defensive zone, and allow the center of the slot to be open in the high slot. They allow a lot, a lot of traffic around the side of the net. And they're able to feed the puck to those circles. And the other teams are able to get the shots with it. Ducks are just so soft in their defensive zone. They can't they can't let that happen. And they let it in night and night again. And so like if this was like an aberration in the play where this is a one off where the Ducks played a hell of a game, you know, even if they hadn't scored, if this is the first goal of the game but the Ducks have been dominating otherwise with good chances and Nielsen's holding them in, then they give this up, you're like, All right, I get it. They haven't had a lot of defensive zone time. They got caught, good shot by Stone. That's all she wrote. Let's go on with the game. But the Ducks can't even get chances like what Stone had and get them on net. And they can't prevent these night in, night out. It's it's brutal to watch. If um, anybody in that locker room is sitting there and saying, you know what, guys, we, we tried our hardest, but it was a, it was a goaltender who beat us tonight, then that's <laughs> ridiculous. I, I mean, we, we saw the Ducks tweet that out and pretty much say that because I guess they kind of have to, right? They got to save something here. Uh, broadcast, even Allers and, and Hayward were kind of saying that Anders Nielsen kept the sends in it. Not really. I, I mean, he was good, of course. Making 45 saves in any game is good, but there's difference between sometimes where a goalie wins you the game with 45 saves, which we've seen John Gibson do before, and times where a goalie is just playing good and then the other team just can't get any quality chances, and, and that's kind of what we saw in this one. One thing I want to touch on, too, is you're talking about how the, the Ducks are just leaving guys open in the slot. That's gotten substantially worse coming back from the break. I mean, the Montreal game was just horrible for that because you're, you're leaving their best goal scorer open twice alone he was uncovered Brendan Gallagher was where he just gets two open shots from the exact same position he's going to make you pay arguably this Mark Stone one is very similar not as wide open but you're leaving a guy uncovered unmarked and and he's going to make you pay with that shot so it's just gotten worse we saw it in in the game against Winnipeg we saw it in the game uh, against Toronto as well where guys were just left wide open and I don't really know what what's changed in that aspect it almost just like, like a lot of people have been saying seems like they've just given up and they're, they're just not really giving a hundred percent. You know, again, the players are getting a little bit upset that people are saying that, but when something like that is changed where you're just missing coverage and you're leaving good players wide open in the middle of the ice, like there's a difference between leaving 
uh, like Cody Cece alone in the slot or, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a bad player on, on the Leafs or, or something else, but, you know, or Brandon Tanev in, in Winnipeg, then leaving Line A or Gallagher or Mark Stone open. Like, there's a difference between that. You you, you have to respect a good player in a 20-goal scorer, and you, you got to at least cover him. I don't get it. It's This defensive squad has been praised for years and has looked good. They've looked good. This year, no. <laughs> I just don't. I don't get it. I really don't understand what has changed here. Um, and, I mean, if you want to say Nielsen kept the sins in it, quote-unquote, when it was 3 nothing, the Ducks had a 6-on-4 power play because they pulled Johnson. And they had a lot of quality chances. Richie missed an empty net. He whiffed the shot. Henrik got stopped a couple of times. Um, and then Richie got stopped again by Nielsen when he finally got a shot away. So that was about it. And then Duchesne would add the empty net or make it 4 nothing, But... This was, like you said, Eddie, this is not Anders Nielsen's game. He didn't hold the sins in it. Um, the Ducks literally just got caught at every situation to give up a chance and left their goaltenders out to dry. Um, and the Ducks dropped their, was it six straight now? We back on this, uh, yep. keep rolling Six straight, here. 18 of their last 20 games that they've lost. Now, I believe that is, what, what's the record now? It's two... Uh, is it two fourteen and four? I think yeah, I think it's two fourteen and four over their last twenty games. So you've picked up a total of eight points out of a possible forty. Now, what was it? That's I bad. said they would get below eighty points on one of our podcasts. What are they yeah, on pace I, for? I, I grilled you, grilled you for that, but they got fifty-one with uh, how many games remaining? 27 games remaining. So they have a possible, obviously, to get 54 points, which isn't going to happen. So let's say, you know, on a current point pace, they get like 20 of those. That like Even 20, even if you get half. So what What did I say, 54? If you get half of those, you're at 27. Yeah. You get 27 points, and that still puts them below 80. That puts them at 78 <laughs> points. So I'm telling you, you they're under. Half of the points available. When you've gotten eight of your last 40... And, you know, you, you didn't even get a 25% of your last uh, 40 points. And to say the Ducks could go in and get 50% of their last uh, 54 points and still finish below 80 points on the season is just ridiculous. So good news, Ducks fans. They're one point ahead of the Kings. Or rather, one point behind the Kings for the bottom of the Western Conference. And they're the tied. Kings game uh, the Kings and the, and the Blackhawks have a game in hand. Um, and the Coyotes have two games in hand, and and the Ducks, Hawks, and Coyotes all have 51 points. Kings have 50, and then the bottom of the barrel on the other end, a little tougher for Anaheim. Detroit with 49, New Jersey with 48, and Ottawa, I think, I don't know if this counts tonight. It doesn't count tonight. They, have four, um, they should have 47 now. 40, okay. If they, then they should have 47. So, and by the way, all these bottom barrel teams... <laughs> have beat the ducks <laughs> oh no no okay sorry Ottawa actually has 45 they 45. Do have 45 that that's that's up so the, the worst team in the league is six points behind the ducks and it, it's just it's almost comical but it's it's kind of good if you're looking to you know lose for hughes or play gravel for caco that every team that's behind the ducks pretty much except for detroit either picked up a point in some type of ot or shootout loss or has won or is winning right now so the oilers won four to one so they uh effectively i think passed the ducks in points now and are two points up on them or tied uh, dallas picked up points i know they've moved a little bit farther in front of the ducks but they picked up a, a point in an ot loss st louis won in overtime against uh, tampa bay yep 
De- Detroit came so close to coming back in that game. They lost 4-3 to Vegas. They scored with three seconds left to, to bring it within one. Uh, but they dropped points. But then you've got Colorado picking up points. You had the Kings winning. And then Philadelphia also losing in a shootout so and picking up points. So close. And uh, the Panthers winning. And then Arizona still down 3-2. They've made they've made an effort to come back in that game. And then the Blackhawks are winning 3-2 over Vancouver right now. So, I mean, that right that's a big one right there. If you want to lose for Hughes, the Blackhawks, if they win tonight, that this was the perfect outcome for anybody who wants to embrace the tank. Yeah. It, they need to. At this point, you need to replenish um, the talent right now. The older guys need to be replenished with, with the young guys. So bring in... Bring in a stud if you can, if they can find a way to get at the bottom. And hey, if it's a Bobby Ryan, Sidney Crosby scenario where the Ducks are shooting for number one and get number two, I mean, you got Kako and you got Hughes. I don't really think you could lose out if the Ducks get to that position. But uh, no, it's it's more of a Matthews line. I know they're different players, but yeah. that's the that's the type of situation it feels like this year at the top. Obviously, the comparison is there because you've got a, an American center and a and a Finnish right winger, but it, it that's just like the level of skill. Like Hughes is a little bit better, I think, than uh, than. Kako, in the same sense that Matthews is a little bit better than Patrick Liney. So the, the, there's still some very good players. And even outside those two, there's still some very good players in the top five or six of this draft. All right, so let's do some shout-outs here before we get into more into more post-game. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Joseph Holmes. He's one of our new Patreon members, so thank you, Joseph, for joining along with us and signing up for our Patreon and supporting the show. Shout-out to you there. Um, and then shout-out to everybody who went and created a Twitch account to help us out today to get over that 50 uh, follower milestone we had to hit that we're gonna have some interactive stuff here coming up in the next uh, couple of days and then we're gonna be on there a lot more be able to interact with you guys a lot better so twitch is huge um i know we're like on every platform but we just want to give you guys the best experience and whether that means you watch us live on youtube so you can see us right now or you take us along with spreaker which i know a lot of people do that's where i catch most of my podcasts uh is on my phone uh, i don't have a ton of time at home but um, I do catch you know things on Spreaker quite a bit or on iTunes, what, what have you. So whatever way you catch us, it's awesome. And if you want to join us and play NHL or other games you want to play, then Twitch is another platform. So shout out to everybody who's done that, going after the, uh, the, the autographed uh, Montour photo. Everyone loves this beautiful face. So one of you guys who signed up today um, or yesterday is going to have a chance to win it. So I want to give a shout out to everyone and thank everybody for that. Yeah, so we'll be giving that away. Uh, we're doing a couple streams this weekend, so we'll probably be announcing who won that this weekend just to allow it to filter down a bit. But uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more uh, at the end of the show today. But let's let's get I guess let's get into the post game stuff because we let's got do a fair amount of stuff to get into. Yep. Uh, the, the one thing I want to start with is uh, Brian Boyle got traded from the New Jersey Devils to the Nashville Predators for a what will be probably a late second round pick. And uh, then you look at Jakob Silverberg with the Ducks are trying to re-sign. And, and not to say Brian Boyle isn't a good player and he can fill a specific role if you're looking for a third-line center, which Nashville is, is kind of looking for that type of player plus a big body after losing Austin Watson for the whole year. But Silverberg's dad should easily fetch a late first from a playoff team. So if you're, if you're Bob Murray then, why are you looking at what was supposed to be a buyer's market and then you see you know Nashville give it up a second for Boyle how do you say, oh, let's resign him? Like, you can now go out and probably guarantee yourself a late first and a good draft and maybe even a prospect for Jakob Silverberg and not have to sign a guy at 
to a five-year, six-year deal at five or six million dollars. I don't even get why he's in, in, in trying to resign him at this point. I understand saying that for the media, but it really honestly feels like that's his goal is to resign him at this point. Well, it, it, it's tough because everyone's having a bad year, so I feel like they're they're probably not going to be short on offers, right? So he probably wants to retain a player that he knows can score and play a two-way game. Bob Murray likes him. Um, I, I'm sure Randy likes him because he has a defensive aspect of his game. But you're right. Why? You're going to overpay this guy. And you're going to overpay him for the bad years of his career. Or the, not. I shouldn't say bad, but like the declining years. He's not going to be as effective as he was. Um, interesting, though, because Pierre Lebrun says the Ducks seem to be listening to a lot, of, a lot of offers on their players. Watch out, GM Bob Murray won't be afraid to let loose if the offers are fair. He wants to retool this roster big time. Which is sort of contradictory, right? Like, so that information's out there. There's a lot of contradictory reports saying that he's willing to move these guys. Then he's come out and said he is, but he isn't. And then there's other reports saying, like, on the front of Cam Fowler, Darren Drager came out today and said that it's highly unlikely from his source with the Ducks that they're going to move Cam Fowler. So it's like you see all these reports saying, like, oh, they're they're definitely listening. I feel like with Bob Murray, he's always listening. Like, he's always willing to listen on deals and if it's a fair deal he'll make it but it doesn't mean he's actively shopping i think that's what they're trying to say he's not actively shopping camp valley he's not actively shopping adam henrique whose name has all of a sudden jumped into trade discussion he was on number 14 on tsn trade bait like all out of nowhere we, we mentioned the possibility of trading it but didn't think it would happen and all of a sudden that's that's become a thing i just think because of how bad the ducks are but yeah i mean you look at these guys like silverberg very valuable player on a championship team at this age where he is right now or on a contending team on the ducks who are in a, in a, a rebuild in the transition it, you know they're going to contend maybe at, at the earliest probably after the seattle expansion draft which is in two or three years so then you've got a 31 32 year old silverberg you're thinking is probably going to be the same I, I don't think so and at that point what's the point you, you could have got a first round pick this year and and tried to accelerate that retool a little bit so then what do they do and, and, like, what is Jacob Silverberg going to get you if Brian Boyle is able to get a late second and you think Silverberg can get a first, but then the rumors are coming out that maybe Fowler is being traded. He's not being traded. Let's just focus on Silverberg then. What, what do you think he gets? And who do you think is going to trade for him if you had to pick him? There's, because there's the, plenty of teams. The, the Habs the, the the are scouting, right? Yeah. The, the Habs are, are likely looking for... Uh, a defense Mark Bergeron is a guy who doesn't go after rentals and I would highly doubt that he would be a guy who would be on in on Jakob Silverberg uh he just doesn't go for the rental type if he was coming to the Ducks he'd, I think he'd be going after a guy like Cam Fowler who is would be a perfect fit for exactly what they need they need a, a top four right or left-handed defenseman to go alongside Shea Weber because they just need somebody a little bit more capable than Victor Mete nothing against Mete but I think he, he's just been a little bit overwhelmed when he's been beside Shea Weber but as for Silverberg, there's going to be a ton of teams. There's going to be a ton of teams interested in them. I, I think the Leafs could maybe go back down that well if they wanted to. Boston could do that as well. Carolina's all of a sudden been on a roll and have jumped back into it. Maybe they don't do it now since they picked up you know, Niederreiter, but he's a, a guy who could fit there. Pittsburgh was mentioned in, in it before, before they made the deal to get uh, Nick Bukestad. And I mean, that's just in the Eastern Conference. I mean, there, there's plenty of teams that could use a player like Silverberg. I think any team contending 
could use a player like Jakob Silverberg where, you you know, even if he's not on the score sheet, he's doing everything right defensively. And that's a huge bonus for your team that you don't have to worry about. If this guy's not putting up points, he's not doing anything for our team. Even if he's not putting up points, he's still a valuable player. Then you've got that ability for him to to score a big goal or put up 40 points in the season. So there's going to be a lot of teams interested, a lot of contending teams who would probably be willing to give up their late first-round pick. Yeah, I, and I think that's the right move. It I mean, is. The, 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 and, the, and that's why I don't, like, it's so obvious. It's such an obvious move. I mean, you know me, though. I'm of the mind of, like, sell everybody. Sell everybody you can move. Move everyone out that you possibly can that has value on this team with the exception, I mean, I shouldn't say everyone, with the exception of, like, five guys. Yeah, but we see we this is the guy at the beginning of the season. Even when we thought the Ducks were going to be good this year, we said no matter what, this is a guy you have to trade at the deadline. Even if the Ducks yeah. were first in the Pacific Division, it would be a tough decision. But I would still say trade Jakob Silverberg because I don't think resigning him long term is the best idea for this franchise. And again, that's nothing against the player. It's just you're going to be paying a guy at 28, five or six million dollars for five or six years. Likely is the type of deal he's going to get. It's not worth it. He's going to be 33 uh, again by the time this team is really in a position to contend. That's even if they were meeting expectations this year. They're really not going to contend at a high level again in, until they get some of these contracts off the book and, and can add a little bit more pieces to their younger players. But I just don't get it. I mean, now they're bad. You think this is the time. Like, sell off. Don't sign a late 20s player to a long-term deal. It makes no sense. Get another first-round pick in a good draft. The Ducks have had great success drafting players in that you know after top 20 position even early in the second round we look at you know ricard raquel sam Steele in in the second round you got maxim comes antoine moran john gibson you know Jakob larson went there i know he hasn't really panned out isaac lindstrom as well like there's a ton of guys and yes for all of those guys there's an emerson Edom in there as well where you know yeah, that happens out but it, it does happen. But when you look at the, the success the Ducks have had getting very good prospects out of that late spot, why would you not go get a late first for Silverberg? Bank on the scouting staff, which I, I would always do. I would always bet money on the scouting staff that the Ducks have to make a good pick of that position. And realistically could turn out to be a better player than Jakob Silverberg. And you have him controlled for three seasons before you even have to pay him any money at all. I agree, and it'll be interesting to see where they try to find room. The Ducks are like at the cap, right? It's not like they have a ton of space to work with to resign the guy. It, it yeah, it, it isn't, and they brought on. I know it's short term, but they bring on more cap, bringing in Del Zotto. Uh, he obviously his contracts off the books, but it's again, it, it doesn't make sense when you look at a team in transition and and where the GMs literally said that this team he doesn't think he can win with this team and this core and then he goes out and he's blaming a lot of the under you know the mid-20s guys like Raquel and Fowler and Montour and Manson which is understandable because they haven't been good this year and Silverberg has probably been one of the Ducks most consistent and better players but that doesn't mean just because he's been that guy this year nobody else has it that doesn't mean you keep him around just because he's that guy no and and I agree he's a great piece for any contending team he is the perfect type of player to put in your locker room. He's not a guy that's going to cause any problems, and he does everything. Any team who wants to win would love to have a guy like that. But the, the, the key thing is there's any team that wants to win. The Ducks aren't a team that can win games. They're just not. And why sign a guy at that age for a long-term deal and handcuff yourself in the future? It, it, it makes no sense. Get him off the books. Don't have to worry about protecting him then. 
because we even thought when we did our Seattle expansion draft mock that he would be gone anyway. The Ducks wouldn't have to worry about protecting him and, and losing some of your younger players. I mean, it's something you don't even think about is you keep this guy around, not only do you block younger players from keeping in, but the Ducks do have to protect uh, Max Jones and Sam Steele in the next expansion draft. And now you le- you run the potential of leaving them exposed if you yeah. bring in Silverberg and you likely will protect him. I mean, you don't sign him to a five or six year deal and then not protect him in the expansion draft, right? So, uh, again, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where I think they should go on and, and kind of sell some of these, these players that are on the late end of their 20s like Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg and maybe don't I don't think you have to but maybe one of Cam Fowler or Josh Manson but definitely up front like I would be all for trading Henrique and Silverberg as much as I love them getting some assets getting a couple first round picks this year and really just trying to accelerate this rebuild because the guys you draft this year late in the first round will likely be ready in three or four years when the Ducks are really in a good position to start contending again so here it is the guys without no move clauses the guys who you can actually move. Adam Henrique. Adam Henrique. Sell. Ricard Raquel. Save. Jacob Silverberg. Sell. Uh, Devin Shore. Sell. Nick Ritchie. At this point, I would keep Ritchie. Um, just because. <laughs> yeah. There's really no use in getting rid of him at this point. And he's You're not actually... going to get enough in return. And he's he's been decent this year. Yep. He's a good third line forward. And he'll be he's young enough that he'll be there and be an effective third line player. Uh, when the Ducks are looking to contend again. Or right. you, if not, at that point, you just move on from him and move on with, with Comtois and Max Jones and whoever else you have on the left wing. Carter Rowney, AHL. Don't really uh, see... That's a little harsh, That's a little harsh because he's been a good fourth liner. I don't think he necessarily sticks around, but he's he'll be here next year. So you could keep him, but it, keep... It's, it's not going to change the makeup of this team enough for me to worry about him getting uh, being gone, right? No. Um, Brian Gibbons, he can go. Not a fan of Brian Gibbons. Um, Daniel Sprong, I'd keep. Derek Grant, I would re-sign if he, for a low amount of money. I don't think he's been bad. Um, let's see, Adam Cracknell. Kind of doesn't matter to me either way. Uh, bottom six forward. And going on defense, I would sell on Cam or Josh Manson. Keep Hampus Lindholm, keep Brandon Montour. Uh, and just, that's it. <laughs> just, that's it. I don't. I don't really care who you get to play a bottom six uh, defenseman. If it has to be a young kid, bring him up. Um, if you're going to keep Michael Delzato, that's fine too. But they need to figure out what's going on with that with those pairings on defense, and they need to sell off the fours that aren't contributing. It's it's tough. They're in a tough spot. We've got an argue going on in the YouTube chat. Uh, people are arguing if the draft lottery is really rigged or not. People saying that even if the Ducks finish in a lower position, the fact that the Kings. And the Blackhawks are down there. The NHL is going to rig it so that they get the first overall pick. Uh, and get Jack Hughes. And I, I don't think it's rigged, honestly. I would like to believe it isn't. Uh, obviously, nobody really knows for sure. And there there has been speculation over that, and they brought it up in the chat. But, you know, with the Edmonton Oilers getting a ton of first-round picks in a row and what was a draft lottery where they, they don't even have a greater than 20% chance of getting that pick. But... I don't necessarily think it's it's rigged. The Oilers were bad most of the time. They finished as the worst team in the league, and they had the best odds to get the, the first overall pick. And it didn't even work out for them, right? It it, it really didn't. They they got two players. I you know yes, I know Nugent Hopkins is better this year, but he, in my opinion, isn't an, an elite first overall talent. And Yakupov was a bust, but 
I, I don't think just because the Ducks are a small market team that if they finish last, the NHL is going to rig it. So one of their darlings, the Chicago Blackhawks, are going to get Jack Hughes. No, I don't think so either. But uh, so talking about them, let's break those guys down a little bit. How good is Jack Hughes? Like, what is the what is the the radar on him? Like, how just how good is he being compared to right now? Uh, with guys in his own draft, or just with his potential ceiling? His, his potential ceiling is he is he a Connor McDavid? Is he an Austin Matthews? Like, what what is he? Uh, in my opinion, I think he's close to a generational talent, but just I don't know if he's at that same level. I don't think he. Does, I I don't want to say I don't think. I know he's not at a Connor McDavid level. Like nobody's at a Connor McDavid level. He McDavid's at just a, a level of his own above everybody else, but. Can he be an effective player like Austin Matthews or Jack Eichel? I think he's right around that category. Oh, there you go. There you go. Never as good as the Canadian, but just as good as these good old American boys. I see what you did there. Yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough comparison to make because it's you always like you hear about it every year. You heard about it when Yakupov was coming up, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to be a good player. You know, I don't think he's – nobody said he was going to be an Ovechkin, but people thought he was going to be a legitimate 30 to 40 goal scorer in this league. And then – that didn't work out but you you know you look at what jack hughes is doing and and the history he's making with the national development team in the u.s uh there's just no question he's going to come into this league and and be a a great player and and the fact that he's completely set up to play the modern style game uh he's going to be a very good player for a very long time uh i don't know at his size if he'll be able to stick at center I would assume he is. He's played center for his entire career, and, and it'll, I think it'll be an adjustment period, but I think he'll eventually will be a number one center. But in my opinion, you know, people are saying that it's close between him and Capocacco, and I do like Capocacco as a player, but if I'm any team in this league, I'm taking Jack Hughes, number one, no question. I'm not even thinking twice about that. Yeah, he, so, so what about what about Kako then? But it, it just reminds me. It reminds me of uh, Matthews and Liney because when they not in how they play, but in in the same situation in the draft, where for for the whole season it was Matthews is number one. You know, look what he's doing against men, and look what he did in in the national development team. And he's a setter. He's number one. And then Liney had a good World Juniors, and he was playing really well. And Matthews was struggling a little bit. And then all of a sudden, people are like. Oh, will the Leafs take line in number one like will somebody trade up and try and get line in number one like is there there was actual question marks on on whether Patrick line would go number one and now you look at it now and as great as a player Patrick line is I don't think anybody would ever take line over Austin Matthews I, I just don't think that would happen I mean Austin Matthews is just a, a a better player and he's at a prime position and the same thing I think with Kako and, and Jack Hughes like nobody is going to look back in five years and say, I wish we would have taken Capo Caco over Jack Hughes. I just don't think it's going to happen. But but if you get Caco at two, he's a great player. I don't know if he's going to play center. He's more of a wing in my opinion. But he's going to be an elite player in this league. I just don't think uh, you're going to look at it in, in five or ten years and say, oh, I wish I had him over Hughes. Yeah, I think Hughes is a big game changer, like for sure. He's, he's highly regarded. I mean, a lot of scouts are saying he's an elite-level talent. So he's definitely the guy to pick. And I like how everyone dogged on him, right, because of uh, his World Juniors performance. He was injured, didn't play, and then had four assists. So everyone just was all over him for his his, uh, performance or lack thereof. That's why we're hearing about uh, Kako jumping into it. And Kako didn't have a great World Juniors either, but he scored the game-winning goal against the U.S. 
So it, it becomes a big thing. And it was similar to Troy Terry when his hype rose. I know he was already drafted, but when he won uh, in the shootout and in that crazy fashion for the U.S., his stock rose ridiculously, and he became all of a sudden an overhyped prospect. And again, I, people think I hate Troy Terry, and I do like him. I just don't think – I think he's been overhyped, and now I, a lot of people think he's going to be a first-line talent, and, and I don't necessarily know if that's still true. He's having a great season with the Gulls, but I still see him as a second- or third-line guy. And, you know, after the World Juniors, he he had a really good finish to that and it was at the end of the, the tournament. So it's memorable and people remember it. It was a big thing. And the same thing with Kako. He gets the game winning goal. It becomes a thing. And Jack Hughes didn't have a strong tournament. So now it's like, oh, you know, maybe it could be a, a thing now. And even some people are saying because Kako, Kako maybe plays in, in a better league than Jack Hughes does. He might be more NHL ready. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's there's some merit to to look at Kako's skill and say that he is going to be a very good player and he is worthy of that second spot. But there's no challenge for Jack Hughes at all. No, so I'm looking at an article from December from a friend of the show, Steve Cornianos, um, on Sporting News. And he, he writes, Hughes, who who last year as a 16-year-old set a single-season uh, NTDP, National Team or the Development Program, Record was 76 assists, came one point shy of tying Austin Matthews' record of 117 points in 2014-2015. He needs only nine assists to surpass Maple Leafs prospect Jeremy Bracco's career mark of 122 and is 26 points from passing Clayton Keller as the NTDP's all-time leading scorer. He's averaging 1.93 points per game. He has 85 games played, 50 goals, 164 points. He's yeah. a monster, and and these projections could mean nothing to NHL. We've we, we've we've seen busts, but I think these have come such a from uh, like the this type of development and this type of scope has come from such a long line of success. When looking at these types of players, I don't think he's going to be right. There's no way that's going to happen at this point. I feel like, um, I mean, I guess it's in the realm of possibility, but it, there is a real chance that we're going to see Jack Hughes as an elite level talent. I feel like, and screw For your sure. screw your McDavid you know that he can't compare to him we'll see we'll see what happens we'll we'll see but it well, well i i think he has the most legitimate chance out of a lot of the prospects in recent years to do that because of the records he's breaking and the, the, he's a similar type of player to Connor mcdavid and in, in the way they play and the speed that they play the game at but it's it's hard like when even when Connor mcdavid was coming up people were like is he going to be the next crosby and people were like well whoa like it's it's crosby like <laughs> Like, yeah, McDavid is going to be a franchise player, but that's Sidney Crosby. And now you look at it, and there's arguments, and there's for good reason that McDavid is arguably the best player in the league. And, you know, it's not as, as a ridiculous thing to say anymore that Crosby, it, that McDavid might be better than Crosby. And when you look at the draft, it was. So I can see that this year, where it's like we're, we've seen McDavid and see what he's doing in the NHL. We have no idea if that's going to tr- transition for Jack Hughes, right? So there is that hesitant to say that is he going to be better than, than McDavid. But. We had, we had some questions, and, and I am since we're on the draft topic, I don't know who said them, but when we get to them, I'll, I'll shout them out. But people are asking about some other players in that top part of the draft and whether the Ducks, if they don't get Hughes or Kako, if there's still some good players. And there there are some very good players. I think, honestly, the top six is where if you get in that top six, you're going to get a very good player. And obviously, you want Hughes or Kako. But if you don't, there's Kirby Dak in the WHL of Saskatoon. There's Dylan Cozens as well, who plays for Lethbridge in the WHL. Both are centers. Both are big uh, Western Canadian guys like Ryan Getzlaff. So that's a uh, 
a direct comparison for them. Kirby Doc, honestly, to me, is almost like a Ryan Getzlaff clone. So if you want to replace Ryan Getzlaff with a modern-day Ryan Getzlaff, there's your guy right there, and, and you could possibly go and get him. Um, Dylan Cozens, is, like I said, is a very good player. There's a Russian in there. Is there any point in mentioning him? Because we know Bob Murray's not going to draft a Russian, but Vasily Pulkolzin is a very good uh, Russian winger as well, and there was some shouts at, at one point for him to go number one, but that that's kind of fallen off a bit. And then the last guy is a guy who actually plays with Jack Hughes is, is Trevor Zegres in, in the national development team system for the U.S., who's a very good playmaking center as well. So so a lot of people saying the Ducks need a center, and even SoCal Hockey fan in our chat said the Ducks need a center. There is arguably four guaranteed centers in Cozens, Dak, uh, Zegres, and Hughes, and then a possible fifth center if Kako eventually develops there. There's, there's at least four to five centers in the top six that are going to be top-line talents in this league. So well, it's, it's potential. There's yeah. potential. So where do you, where do you want to hop next? Where do you want to get into? Um, we have some questions, but we'll get to that at the end because there was one thing, the big thing, and, and it's what a lot of people have been kind of bringing up in the chat. I think Frank brought it up as well with the, the rumors around the Ducks and the Montreal Canadiens lately that have been kind of up and down, been confirmed and denied over the last little bit because Mark Bergeron scouted two consecutive games. Um, when the Ducks were in uh, Winnipeg and Toronto, he was there personally scouting those games. And obviously he was there when the Ducks were in Montreal. Um, so that's a big thing. When, and we mentioned that on the last podcast as well. But apparently Cam Fowler's agent, who obviously it's not just Cam Fowler's agent. He has other players he represents that were in those games as well. But he was at those games as well, uh, which is another thing that, that people have kind of brought up as well. But there, he's also good friends with Mark Bergeron. And Mark Bergeron is also good friends with Bob Murray. So they could just be catching up, and they could be scouting different players. But you know, well, I mean, ways. clearly they're they're scouting Devin Shore, and right. that's that's yeah. who Bob Murray's going to trade. I mean, they're not going to. But the links, the links for Cam Fowler have obviously come up. <laughs> Montreal's close to Detroit, and, and Cam Fowler's from Detroit. He's a Michigan boy, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what was that team when Cam Fowler was going to get traded? I think two years ago, we're like this. He fits perfectly with this team, like. If this was a deal that would happen, it would make sense for everybody because Cam Fowler fits perfectly. I can't remember what team it is. Maybe it was the Rangers. But this is, again, in that same situation. If you're at Montreal, this is probably the perfect guy to bring in for you. If you want a guy to play with Shea Weber, the only stumbling block for me is the fact that you want to bring in a guy with that type of term to a team that uh, is a young team but is also kind of transitioning a bit too because, you know, Fowler's going to play with Shea Weber for, what, two or three seasons before Shea Weber is pretty much done? And then you've got to try and build around Cam Fowler on your blue line. You have to really like him. And there's a lot of GMs and, and scouts in this league who love Cam Fowler. Um, so it, there's a possibility it happens. But the rumors just don't go away. There's a lot of things, you know, kind of squashing the rumors, but then they just keep coming back up. I mean, if you're going to get rid of him, I guess the thing you have going for you is he's not the only player that is playing terrible. The entire team is playing terrible. So I think that actually, in my opinion, and obviously I'm not an expert, but I think that bodes well for the Ducks. Because you can just say as as a GM, you're like, well, I mean, these guys aren't having like their normal season. So I don't think it devalues the players so much. You're going to get that old, that, that good old adage of, 
he needs to change the scenery to play better. I think that's going to do the Ducks some favors if they want to make a deal, right? Don't you think that could I've be the case? That. I've seen that already in, in a lot of articles. And, and they've been popping up in, in legitimate sources. The Athletic, uh, a writer for The Athletic Montreal, I believe, put an article about uh, Cam Fowler going to Montreal, possibly, and brought up all the things we just brought up with Bergeron and, and Pat Brisson and, and all the things that have been going on there. But And that was mentioned in there, is, is Cam Fowler could possibly use a change of scenery and putting him beside a, a guy like Shea Weber, that maybe will finally work. But... The thing with Cam, and we mentioned before, is you need to put him with the right guy. And for sure, Shea, we- Shea Weber seems like he would be the right guy to put Cam Fowler with, right? He just seems like he'd work. But we also also thought Josh Manson would be the right guy to play with Cam Fowler. And look how that's turned out. That didn't work at all. No. So there's always that that thing, change of scenery, that's going to work. You know, Again, we bring up Yakupov, but when he got traded, it's like, oh, change of scenery from Edmonton, he's going to go out and he's going to be close to the player we thought. Well, he's not even playing in the NHL anymore. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes but the, the good thing goes, for Cam Fowler is that he, he has had decent offensive numbers. He's known for his skating ability, which carries weight. Um, he was high end on the analytics side of, of uh, zone exits for several seasons until this one. Right, he, yeah. he's just yeah, had he's a been really bad year. Yeah, it, again, and, and I wrote an article and I kind of picked into that and and tore him apart a little bit. But even Rightfully in, in so. that, yeah, even in that, the last three seasons, he's been one of the best at zone exits and and preventing turnovers. You know, he's just been a very effective defenseman in that in that sense, and that's all kind of gone away this year. And and then you know everything's really fallen apart for him in, in all aspects of his game. Uh, and he should be rightfully criticized for that. But again, it's worth noting that this team in general is bad as well. So that that kind of plays into it. And, and maybe just a fresh start for a guy at this point in his career. I know it's tough to say, but that, that could change things around for him. But there's also a chance that even if he sticks around, once the Ducks are, are in a position to contend again, he could be a very valuable piece of this team when they're actually playing good. And if he finds a partner to play with and, and that can play to his strengths, he's a very effective defenseman. It's just... Do you want to bank on that happening? It's going to happen in one or two seasons. It's going to happen in three or four, five or six. Like at that point, you've wasted the entirety of Cam Fowler's contract when you could have got some younger assets for him. It all depends on, on how the Ducks believe they're going to contend again, when they're going to contend again. Well, they have to retool. There's no such thing in this league anymore as a rebuild. They always like to say retool because you can do it a lot faster. And, I mean, generally speaking... When you have a team that needs to do this, it's just not the case for Anaheim. Usually your high-end talent is playing well. It's your the, the middle, right? It's it's the middle talent that kind of drags you down. And in this case, for the Ducks, it's the entire team is just playing like garbage besides, well, until recently, John Gibson. Um, and then Andre Kasha, for he was injured. But I think what really is like, I was just going to do them favors, is that Cam Fowler still carries that name. And that he's, he should be available if I was smart and named Bob Murray. I would do that. And what is that kind of return going to bring you, though? That's not going to bring you with Jonathan Drouin, though. That's, I don't yeah, think that's, that's going to happen. Jonathan Drouin's been playing lately. He's got nine points in his last uh, three games now. He had four points tonight. He's I just not, don't think he's, he's that No, he, he's 23 years old, first of all. Cam Fowler is going to be 28 this year, and he's signed for the next seven seasons. I, I just don't see him going anywhere. That's the thing, though, is is it what it seems like when you're looking at a lot of people and, and when they look at Cam Fowler from the outside looking in, 
it almost seems like the, their opinion of Cam Fowler is a lot different than, than say ours. And I do like Cam Fowler, and I think he's a valuable player, but you have to put him in the right position. But then you look at from the outside looking in, they see all these stats on how he's one of the best zone exit guys in the league, and he's a quick skater, and he fits the modern-day style. And maybe you don't see those mistakes on a nightly basis and, and his shortcomings defensively. And people love him. There are there are writers, there are scouts, there are general managers for teams that just love this guy and would love to have him a part of their team for good reason because he could he, he could fit their team perfectly. Uh, there are teams, I think, would be willing to give up more than you would expect for Cam Fowler. I think a lot of people look at right now and say, if you move him, try and move him with that term, you're, you're going to get maybe a late first and a, and a, a prospect, and, and that's it. But I, I feel like there's some teams out there. Again, you've locked a guy down that they they think is a very good defenseman at a reasonable price at six and a half million for for a long time. And yes, the term's a little bit too long, probably two years too long. But you you you've got that uh, safety net, knowing that he's going to be there for whenever, however long you want to contend. So that has some value in it as well. And there's some teams who really really like him. So would you rather see Cam Fowler off this team or Josh Manson? let's go back to that it's it's tough because i i would have a better answer if i knew for sure how good josh maher was going to be if i knew josh maher was going to mold into maybe not the exact same type of player of cam fowler but close to it and be a top four defenseman i would rather move cam fowler but you know and, and, and the same thing goes on the right side the ducks don't have anything after brandon montour they don't not even in the pipeline they don't have any right shot defenseman whatsoever coming up and if you move Josh Manson, that means you've got to go to free agency eventually to bring in somebody or play somebody on their offside, which is possible, but it's not ideal. Um, personally, if you're looking to retool and be good in three years, I would move Josh Manson and keep Cam Fowler and, mm-hmm. and try and bring in a, a right shot defenseman in either free agency or in a draft who can be on your team in the next three to four years. You're just not uh, going to get the same value for the Josh Manson as you were with Cam Fowler. I think you're going to get more. You're not, especially with him having a bad year. It's like Cam is having a bad year, but he had so many good years before this, and the analytics are backing up where people still love the guy, and he can skate. If you traded Josh Manson at the end of last year, you would get a lot more because he was putting up points, he was playing really well, and he was playing with Hampus Lindholm, and they were one of the best possession pairings in the league. Now people look at it and say, oh, he's not playing with Lindholm. His numbers have gone down. Is that because Lindholm was propping him up? In some part, yes, but the points mm-hmm. aren't there. He's made some very bad turnovers, some public turnovers, like some really bad mistakes. Really bad. All season he's been doing that, and it's like, don't sell low on that guy. And, and you know, a lot of people are looking at him and like, yeah, we can get him for low, but there are people out there looking at Cam Fowler and still thinking he's a very good defenseman, and maybe you can try and get him for a little bit lower than, than you normally would on a good year, but he's still worth a lot more. So if you're looking to get a better return – then you you trade Cam Fowler. You want to hop into some questions here to wrap the show up? Yeah, let's let's get into them. I'll go on uh, Instagram first. Uh, so Sierra had a question there. She said, "Do you think the LA Kings surpass the Ducks in points by the end of this season?" Oh yeah, no, I think so. I think so, unless they make insane changes to their lineup and get rid of anybody who's helping them score. I mean, we've heard rumors about Kovalchuk. I've seen rumors about Jonathan Quick. So Jeff Carter, Jeff Carter, well. we'll see yeah, how that team changes. Team. Uh, I mean, their defense is is not great at all, especially if they lost Jake Muzzin. It's it's literally just due to Drew Doughty back there. But now you've got guys like Tyler Toffoli who's starting to play better. Mm-hmm. You've got Adrian Kempe who's starting to play better. They are arguably a better team, and it, it's it's not what you want to see. 
Right now, I'd rather them finish more points than the Ducks. The Ducks have a better shot at Jack Hughes because I don't want to see Hughes or Kako go to uh, the LA Kings. But I think it's realistic at this point that the Ducks could finish below them. Um, Sierra says, is there anyone you think the Ducks should target at the trade deadline as in bringing in, like, to buy somebody? Mm. That's, like, the toughest question because we've never been in this position where they don't they aren't really buyers i don't think there's anybody they should bring in unless you think like bringing in picks and, and prospects is an answer to that question because that's the only answer i could really give i don't think they should go out and buy a player or bring somebody in no even even a panarin or whatever like what it would take you to get panarin and it's a rental so bob Murray would ever never do it but again like you bring a panarin and and is that really the right move at this point like does that make you that much better Yes, he's a great player, but he's also 27, and you'd have to sign him to a long-term deal. It's like, it's not worth it. Same goes for Matt Duchesne or Mark Stone. Like, these are great players, elite players, but they would make sense if the Ducks were looking to contend next year or the year after that. Uh, and, and by the time that you would be looking to contend, these guys are in their early 30s, and, and it's you're in a similar situation to you are now. With, with well, I mean, and Mark Stone sounds fine and all, but he's also making $7.3 million. Yeah, and his UFA. Yeah, that's that's too tough. That's too tough to get in. Um, yeah, I don't think that there really is a player that I would be happy about, unless it was a young, really a, a good, really young player. Oh my god, a young yeah, and, and at good that point, player you're selling. like Drew Ann. Yeah, selling to get that guy. So again, it's it's if they can bring in a young prospect or player or picks to sell at the deadline, then that's what we're kind of hoping for. I don't think they're going to be buyers and bringing in anybody. What if they what uh, if they made a bunch of cap space and then offer sheeted some of the top uh, RFAs? Again, I I understand wanting to offer sheet, but <laughs> I, like let's just say Mitch Marner because that's probably the the most high profile guy available, yeah. and there's a lot of them out there. But Mitch Marner today they're th- saying I think Pierre LeBron said it could be around ten and a half for five years, similar thing <laughs> to what. Uh, what uh, Austin Matthews is getting at that point. I I think the compensation is somewhere around like three first round picks. And like, I know Mitch Marner is a very good player, but unless you're expecting those to be the low first round picks. And I can't say that for sure with this team, even with Mitch Marner, is it worth it? Like, is it worth three first round picks? I know Mitch Marner is a great player and he's going to be consistently 80, 90 point guy in this league. And that's tough to get. But like three first round picks is a lot, especially if you don't know how good you're going to be over those. Yeah, three but years. that's like getting a first round pick and hitting gold. Yeah, so it, it's essentially like you're giving up because if you offer sheet him, you've already drafted. Like you've already drafted this year. So like the Ducks, if they got Jack Hughes and then they offer sheeted uh, Mitch Marner, it'd be the next three draft picks after that. Sure, but at that point you have to go way above what Toronto would be willing to pay. You'd have to go like twelve million. Or something ridiculous where they just can't even consider it 12 or 13 million because if they're thinking 10 and a half even if you go to 11 and a half they'll probably reluctantly have to match it right like they, they just will they'll match it they'll figure things out if you go 12 and a half 13 puts them in a tough position but then the compensation is just so ridiculous it's like I don't what know about I, what about Braden point or miko rantanen they're gonna be around the same Braden point might be easier but uh but he'll probably be making around six or seven and uh miko rantanen i think like he'll probably make 10 or 11 as well when you look at what he'll look at whatever mitch marner gets and be like that's what i want that's exactly what he'll say same goes for patrick line the the only guy you could maybe get at a lower price is kyle connor out of winnipeg which is a great option but 
he'll probably want five or six and Winnipeg already has to sign Patrick Laine as well. So maybe you can go get that. But then the conversation again, is it worth it? Like, is it worth it to get Kyle Connor? He's a great player. He's going to be a consistent 20 to 30 goal scorer. But do you want to give up the two or three first round picks? It's going to cost in compensation to go out and do that. Mm, that's a tough call because like I said, you strike gold. If you get a guy to sign. Right? Yeah, and it, but it, it You're getting that first round draft, draft pick. Guy. You're getting a known quantity. And when you have draft picks, you don't really know what you're going to get. But if you're able to get a Mitch Marner, I don't think you want to. I don't. You really think he's going to get ten million dollars? He's going to get. He, he's worth it. He's worth it. He is their second best forward. It's him and uh, Austin Matthews, and then John Tavares is right behind them. That's Mitch Marner is God. Mitch Marner is a consistent eighty to ninety point guy in this league. He will be for the, his entire career. He's that good of a player. He'll he's worth probably more than ten and a half million. But he'll take ten and a half for five years, and then when both of these guys get paid in the next five years, they're going to be making even more money, which is going to be ridiculous. But yeah, he's worth it for sure, and he's one of the only guys I would consider because yes, Braden Point's a good player, and yes, Kyle Connor's a good player, but are they sure bets for their entire career? Like you could say, Mitch Marner is, or Austin Matthews is, or Patrick Laine is. I don't think they're at sure bets as them when you look at it you, they, you, have, you know Brandon Point will be good and, and Kyle Connor will be good but I could argue you could maybe find those guys later in the first round if you get lucky and I know right. it's just, if you get lucky but then do you, do you want to give up a whole first second round pick in one draft for those guys do you want to give up two first round picks do you want to give up three first round picks for a guy you might be able to find on your own if you're bad right like that's that's the question you want like does Kyle Connor make you good enough that you're comfortable giving up a few first round picks I don't think he does Mitch Marner yeah Patrick Laine, for sure. Make yeah, but you're paying it through problem. the nose. You're going to be paying $10 $11 million. The Ducks aren't going to do Exactly. That, that's the problem. Yeah, and that's, still. Again, that's generally why a lot of teams don't offer sheep. And at the same point, is well, you're going to give up those assets only if you Well, that and it's the good old boys club. None of these GMs no, want is. to step it on is. each other's but toes. There is some like, kind of strategic last, uh, like, uh, point behind that. And, like, unless you're a team you know you're going to be contending and, and Mitch Marner just kind of puts you over the top and you can afford a salary – then, then it makes sense. But if you're in a middle of the pack team where you don't know you're, you're going to be good, if you're Carolina, if you're if you're the Ducks, if you're you know Philadelphia, Buffalo, and you're in that mix, and you're like you know if we can go out and get this guy, but are we guaranteed? He's obviously going to make our team play better, but are we guaranteed to be a, a Stanley Cup contender with him? We don't know. So is it worth giving up three first round picks in case we're bad and we in a similar situation to? what uh, Ottawa is this year and obviously not the same offer sheet type situation but giving up your first round pick and then being bad what what do we got next uh Clarissa asked a question that we kind of already answered but I just want to give her a shout out for asking she said who do you like more Hughes or Kako I think we both Hughes. agreed yeah Hughes. America yeah. dude it's just a base it's just based on nationality yeah uh, Jimmy said if uh, if we get Hughes or Kako should uh GM of the year consideration be for Bob Murray <laughs> <laughs> To do it's just his plan all along. His whole his plan all along was to tank the team, tank the team, keep Randy, make everyone angry, and then get a top pick. Uh, no, he should not get it. <laughs> uh, Alex asked, "What kind of return would some of the players draw?" He mentioned Fowler, Manson. Uh, we already mentioned that same with Silf, but yeah. then he said uh, Raquel. Uh, if you had a, I think he would probably get the most out of all of those guys. Oh yeah, he's he's got be, an incredible contract. He's twenty five. He'll be 26 yeah. this year. Uh, we've seen him put up 30 goal seasons. He's having a bad year. 
So it would easily be not elite first, or if it was an, an elite prospect, like uh, if you're say Nashville, for example, was looking for a forward, it'd be like Eli Tolvanen in their first round pick, probably plus because he's already a guaranteed 30 goal scorer in this league and a very good player. Agree. Um, Chase says, do you think Murray hasn't made another trade because teams are lowballing him because of how bad the Ducks have been? No, I don't think so at all. I think I think Murray is so reluctant to give up assets and he's so reluctant. Um, to give up players he's drafted, that he makes it really hard to make deals. I think he makes it really hard. And he won't make a deal just to make a deal, to get rid of a guy. He always, which in some ways is really smart. You don't want to be the guy who gets laughed at like a Mark Bergevin at the end of a trade, right? I mean, Mark Bergevin's been hosed. I mean, Peter Shear really get hosed. You don't want to be known as that guy. And, and Bob's very calculated. Um, and as much as I harp on you know his cap management skill and his re-signing, issues with giving veteran players obscene amounts of money that didn't deserve it with no move clauses, <clears throat> Kevin Bieksa, Ryan Kessler. Um, I, I, I still feel like he's done a good enough job to where he's going to make the right call, but I still think he, I still think he holds on a little too tight to the guys that he gets. And he's, he needs to really consider this year to move him around. Yeah, no, for sure. It's not from low. Um, uh, Joseph said, did you hear the Gronberg on the 31 Thoughts podcast talking about positionless hockey? No. Um, but Jason said that uh, they're stealing our podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. But uh, I, I will go check it out because any any interview Ricard Gronberg has is great. He just seems like he, he knows so much about the game and he brings like yeah. a fresh a fresh new look. And, and come to Anaheim. Ricard, come I mean, to Anaheim. Uh, who was it? Who's the coach in... Uh, was it Hackstall? No, I, mean, I think I don't know if it was Hackstall. Yeah, he was talking with Dave Hackstall. Yeah, yeah. Before he got fired, he he was there. I think with uh, Gronberg, kind of t- talking things over and uh, getting some insight from him, which is which is pretty interesting. We've got NHL coaches over there trying to get a new perspective and new mm-hmm. look on things from a guy who isn't in the NHL, but I think a lot of people uh, think he will be, and he probably will be at the end of oh, this I year. I think so. Um, let's see. There's a lot of questions just specific from the game. Dean said, here's a question. What's left to say? Uh, at this point, not too much. Uh, it's just Exciting things are coming, Dean. We're going to be able to talk about the trade deadline, the offseason, lose for Hughes, the draft moves that are going to happen. Most stuff's going to happen at the draft. I don't see the trade deadline. Like, it usually isn't the biggest um, mover of players. And maybe this season it's, it's going to be a little more than the last, but I think the draft's the big, the big time to move. Yeah, so we got three three more questions on Facebook, and then we're done. So we got Benoit, who said, should the Ducks go for a fire sale at the deadline? If so, yes. which guys do you think we should, oh should go God. for? Oh, my God, yes, everyone. Fire sale in, in the sense that, you know, again, if it was my ideal trade, trade deadline, it would be Silverberg and Henrik and, and only Fowler and Manson if you got a very good deal for them. But I would move on from Silverberg, Henrik, and kind of kickstart this retool in the right direction, move off a lot of salary, get some hopefully first-round picks in return, or at least a first in a couple seconds and some prospects, and really kick this in the right direction. Yep, 100%. Right there with you. I would move Perry and Kessler if you can, but you can't. So You can't, yeah. And, and we've already talked about buying out Kessler in the offseason, and that that's a, a possibility I think the Ducks should address. And, and then you've moved off a significant amount of salary that you don't really have to go out and get a guy with, but you at least have that option. And then uh-huh. potentially when, when <laughs> let the Sam Willies recoup some costs, Jesus. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, at least you, you have that freedom and, and you're not right up against it. And you've kind of moved on and, and, and at least to find a direction is what we're looking for. Right. Like right. you've defined a direction. You've traded off 
some late 20s guys in, in uh, some bigger contracts and said, hey, we're going to get younger and we're going to yep. kick off this retool right now. Um, Kevin says, when will they address the front office mismanagement and get a coaching change? And it's summer. Yeah, summer. Yeah, it's end of the season. Randy Carlisle is not getting fired. It's just not happening. It's gotten pretty much as bad as it can get at this point. You know, the twelve-game losing streak, then a six-game losing streak. You've lost eighteen of your last twenty. Doesn't really get much better than this unless you lose all twenty, and that's you're, you were two games away from doing that. So it doesn't get much worse than this. So at this point, he's staying for the rest of the year, and you might as well. You don't want to bring a new coach into this tire fire and say, hey. You know, the Ducks, we've lost 18 of the last 20. Go in there. Drag us to the playoffs. Drag us to the playoffs. We don't need that. And you know that that would be Dallas Eakins, or that would be even an assistant coach, uh, whoever is there right now, right? So that's not fair to that guy to be like, hey, you know, we're going to throw you into the fire as an interim and completely, you know, ruin your chances of getting a job in the future. Honestly, look what it did to Dallas Eakins. They're like, all right, take this crap team and make it better. And then nobody wanted to touch him after that because they thought he was a bad coach because he couldn't turn it around well look at the team he was given right oh, so don't, and don't don't do this to that guy again don't bring him up to this crap team and expect him to turn it around he's already had to deal with that once don't do it again 100 percent. let's wrap it what's the last one tom said do you think all the players have given up on randy carlisle or the randy carlisle system uh yeah i would think some of it would be that case right I mean, one of the things that Getzloff said in an Eric Steven article was it's the same It's the same as the coach. If the coach is delivering the same message all the time, eventually guys tune it out. So he was talking about having an airing, like an airing of grievances session, right? The players able to speak up, wanted other people to speak up rather than just the leaders that were the known leaders of the group, like probably Corey Perry, Ryan Kessler, um, um, <clears throat> and Ryan Getzloff, and then letting the other players speak up. And that, that comment right there, that's the same as the coach, tune it out i kind of feel like that's that's kind of a little bit of a clue whether he meant it to meant it to be that way or not but when you're playing this bad and you weren't playing this bad with a very similar team last year i think randy lost the team i think he's i think it's done yeah and and for me it's he's tried to tweak this system a little bit and me and jason talked about this on the last show uh where jason paul who does the the versus charts on on uh, twitter and on his website yeah, he, he sent us a Randy Carl last year versus this year one, and there were some similarities in, in goaltending was obviously big. Uh, but the Ducks, when they were trailing last year, they made a huge effort. The, the shot attempts just went through the roof. They were the comeback kids almost last year. They made an effort to come back and, and actually you know try and stay in games. And just offense generating shot attempts in general has gone down, and that's almost you look at the small changes that have, that have happened with this team. It's almost like they've kind of, changed the system slightly and it hasn't worked and they haven't gotten away from it it, it you know it, it could have been this bad last year it, it pretty much was this bad last year but goaltending and uh not willing to give up is what got this team to 44 wins last year so it, it really not much has changed just the team this year has kind of given up and the, the small little system tweak hasn't worked nope it hasn't and uh looks like this summer we'll see a different one but that is it that's the show for you guys tonight a bit of a long one there thanks for tuning in and staying with us um, like you said, you can find us on, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If you want to catch us on social media, we love to interact with you. Our Forever Mighty Three Stars we give away a free jersey thanks to CoolHockey.com every month. Uh, Eddie puts up three questions 45 minutes prior to game time for you to get the answers uh, to us. And then uh, we generate points that way. At the end of the month, we announce the winner. Um, also, 
again, shout out to everyone who signed up for Twitch. We're going to be doing more with that platform. How much more remains to be seen, but we know we're doing a special show here for the trade deadline coming up, so stay tuned for that. And as always, if you haven't already clicked subscribe on iTunes or on Spreaker or on YouTube, go ahead and do that for us. Click the bell on YouTube. Um, we would really love that. It'd get our numbers up. Get us. It helps us become more visible to people who are searching for hockey or podcasts or ducks um, on those platforms. So uh, we talked to you guys. Uh, what was the next game, Eddie? Saturday against Philly? Yeah, Saturday against Philadelphia. He's been playing really good as nice. of late, so that should be fun. Early start at 10 a.m. start in the Pacific uh, time zone, 1 o'clock Eastern. We'll talk to you guys then. Have a great night. See you guys.